right, I'm going to invite you uh, to go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we are in Luke 19 this morning, a very familiar passage um, that, uh, is in, that is in all four Gospels. It's one of the few stories that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you've been uh, worshiping with us uh, throughout the year, and I know many of you have, we are in the sermon series called uh, Blessed to be a Blessing, and we could call it Gifted to be Giving. And the idea is that God has blessed and gifted each one of us so that we can bless and give to others. Why are we doing this? Why are we spending 34 weeks uh, this year going through this understanding of what it means to be blessed and what it means to be gifted? And I'll just kind of tip my cards if it hasn't become obvious already, there is a big disconnect in the life of the church, not just Faith Lutheran Church, but church around the world. Uh, a disconnect, a chasm between what I'll call professional Christians, people like me, uh, staff people, and the laity folks who are, we'll just say, in the pew. And uh, the truth is, this is a problem because uh, in the life of the church, God has called all of us. If you are a Jesus follower, uh, you have been called uh, and you have been gifted uh, to share your gifts with others. Um, sometimes when we think about what it means to be uh, a Jesus follower, we think about maybe like March Madness or something where we all show up to a stadium, you know, and there's thousands of people in the arena cheering on those 10 basketball players on the court. That's not church. That's, uh, you know, the final four, right? Or maybe you're thinking about baseball, you know, tens of thousands of people in the stadium. You've got 20 to 25 people out on the field playing baseball, depending on how many pitchers you need to go through. And, and there's the, maybe you've been to a ball game, an MLB ball game, and, and, the, and you're a fan and you're cheering on the professionals. That's not church. Or maybe you've been to a Broadway show in New York City and you've, you've gone to see Hamilton or one of these other productions and there's 21 cast members on the stage and, and you're enjoying and you're participating, just watching and observing all that's going on. And at the end, of course, you're hooting and hollering, way to go, it was awesome. That's not church. The church has always meant to be about the entire body of Christ, all of us who serve in ministry, and this is why we are going through this. In fact, 500 years ago, people in the pews, as they were sitting there listening uh, to a, 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 Luther, a pastor by the name of Martin Luther, you know, he talked about this idea of the priesthood of all believers. If you are a Jesus follower, you are, you're a priest. You are meant to be engaged in, in the ministry of the church. And so my hope is as we spend uh, 34 weeks going through uh, our gifts and really understanding them, uh, that you all will feel a little bit more empowered to step out a little bit more from the stadium uh, in, in, the, uh, in the seats out onto the court, onto the ball field, if you will, to kind of use that metaphor uh, over and over and over. And so we've been looking at these 34, we will be looking at these 34 characters, 17 Old Testament, 17 New Testament characters, and how God used each one. Because God doesn't just use cookie cutter people. God doesn't use just like the extraordinarily gifted or a particular kind of people. God uses all kinds of people to serve in ministry. 
And so today on this Palm Sunday, we are going to look at a character who I think we oftentimes overlook in the story. A character who plays a very, very important role, but I think we often gloss over. The donkey. Is he really going to preach about a donkey today? I'm going to preach about a donkey today. I've never preached about a donkey before. But as we read the story again, I want you to pay attention to the donkey and how God can even use a donkey to honor him and to his purposes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day as we've gathered to worship you. And Lord, as we sing Hosanna, as we sing, come rescue us, come save us. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds to read your word this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So before I read the text, I thought it might be a little bit appropriate uh, to give you some donkey facts. And so I've spent the week talking to donkey owners and scouring the internet, fact-checking, and uh, uh, Dan and Ann Kreider are here this morning, so if I get anything wrong, they're going to fact-check me because they know a little bit of, you guys know a little bit about donkeys, right? A little bit, okay. So I want to give you some donkey facts here this morning to kind of get our head thinking a little bit about donkeys. Now, one of the things about donkeys is donkeys have this highly uh, sensitive uh, awareness to self-preservation. Donkeys, they've got this, this acute sense that they want to keep going. They want to keep living. Now, of course, when we think about donkeys, we kind of think of donkeys have a reputation of, of being stubborn. But the truth is, donkey owners, uh, people who raise and take care of donkeys will say, actually, donkeys are being very, very cautious. They're paying attention to their surroundings because they've got this hyper sense of self-preservation. They want to keep living uh, for a long, long time. So you, it's, it's difficult to startle a donkey because they're just so aware of everything that's going on in the room. You look at a donkey and they think, wow, that donkey is really low energy. Actually, they're paying attention at all times, everything that's going on in the room. And self-preservation actually serves the donkey really, really well. Because they've got this heightened sense of self-preservation, donkeys can live 30 to 40, sometimes up to 60 years old. I mean, donkeys can live a long time because God has wired them for self-preservation. Now, so which ought to tell you, uh, you know, don't ever call someone a stubborn donkey, right? Because they are not stubborn. So if someone ever calls you a stubborn donkey, you can correct them and say, hey, I am just being cautious. I'm just being aware of my surroundings. Donkey fact number two. Donkeys are well-equipped. Now, when you look at a, an image of a donkey, you think, wow, those, he's got some really big ears, right? Donkeys might look a little bit goofy with those big ears. But those big ears are actually very practical. They're very purposeful. And what those donkey ears function is kind of like a radiator in a car. They help regulate body temperature. And so if they get too hot, they just all of a sudden start letting out lots of lot, uh, hot air going out of their ears. 
or if they're cold, they just kind of shut down their senses in their ears, and it helps them to regulate body temperature. So donkeys are well-equipped to live in harsh climates. So those donkey ears actually have a purpose. Um, and, and they can, with those big ears, those big radar uh, ears, they can hear predators for miles and miles away. So when you look at a donkey, you might think, boy, that is a goofy-looking animal with those big ears. It's very practical uh, for them to be able to, again, self-preservation, to be able to hear predators uh, from a long ways away and do what they need to do. Donkeys, we might even say they are very gifted with, and what might look like strange in a strange way with those ears. So the donkeys are well-equipped. Number three, uh, donkeys are misunderstood. We look at a donkey and uh, we, we kind of look at its behavior and we think they have kind of strange behavior. You know what a donkey's favorite pastime is? You might be thinking eating, right? It's, they, they do like to eat. I like to eat. But actually a donkey's favorite pastime is they like to go into the mud, into the dirt and roll around on their backs. And we think, well, they just must be dumb donkeys, right? They just, they just don't know what else to do. Well, if you're a donkey and you don't have anything to scratch, any way to scratch your back, you go into the dirt. And that's how you scratch your back, because they have flies and all sorts of insects that land on them. And so donkeys do this, this behavior that looks very strange to us, rolling in the dirt. But when they roll in the dirt, it also helps them to pick up dirt on their backs. And again, this is about t body temperature regulation. So it's very practical, scratching their back and also helping to regulate. And so they're misunderstood. We don't understand all the time. And, and sometimes we think that donkeys are, do dumb things, they're dumb behavior. Maybe somebody's called you a dumb donkey before, right? And you can say, no, no, no. My behavior is very purposeful. So be careful not to call someone a dumb donkey because their behavior might actually be meaningful. Number four, donkeys are dangerous. I ran across an article this week uh, that talked, uh, with, did a study uh, from the London Times. And in this study, it said that every year, more people are killed by donkeys than in airplane crashes. To which I was wondering, who paid for this study and why were they studying, you know, comparing airplane crashes and people who are killed by donkeys? But again, I, I don't know, but I just thought it was kind of interesting in the London Times that they ran this study, which they're dangerous. Donkeys are powerful animals and they're dangerous. And again, God has equipped them to fight off predators. And the interesting thing about donkeys is one, the reason why pe one of the reasons why people even own donkeys or have donkeys is to fight off and ward off predators like uh, wolves and coyotes. The donkeys, the, the wolves and the coyotes, they, don't, they know, don't mess with the donkeys. And so oftentimes when you see uh, people who raise sheep, very docile animals, can't really protect themselves, uh, dumber than a box of rocks, right? People will get a donkey to protect the sheep herd. There's almost this symbiotic relationship. There's this relationship between donkey and sheep. It's like they bond together. They like hanging out. The donkeys like to herd the sheep, and the sheep feel that protection and that safety from the donkey. Donkeys are dangerous. Don't mess with them. This is the way God has made them. And so it's, uh, I think, 
very, very useful to understand this. Now, the last donkey fact that I'm going to throw out there uh, is just the proper names of donkeys. To be clear, a male donkey is called a jack, a jack donkey, and a female donkey is a jenny donkey. So, ladies, if anybody ever calls you a jack donkey, you can say, well, actually, the female version of a donkey is a jenny donkey. So that has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to throw that out there because uh, I thought it was interesting. All right. So here we go. Uh, those are the, the, the donkey facts. Let's look at Luke 19, paying attention to the donkey. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, to set the stage in terms of the time of year, what is going on is Jesus and all the disciples and all the people are going into Jerusalem. Every Jewish person three times a year was invited, uh, even required if you lived close to Jerusalem, to show up in Jerusalem to share in a feast for Passover uh, festival, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And this festival that Jesus and the disciples are going to, of course, is Passover. And as they're all getting their minds ready and walking towards Jerusalem, they're thinking about that, that great event that happened hundreds of years before where God used Moses to liberate his people out of Egypt. And they were in bondage to slavery. You guys know this story from the book of Exodus. And through those 10 plagues, God used uh, these plagues so that to uh, make a statement about his sovereignty and the ways in which he was going to set free his people, the Israelites. And of course, the last plague was, the pa was called the, the Passover, where the angel of God, uh, the, the, the angel of death came and passed over all the homes that had the lamb's blood on the painted door, on the doorposts of the houses. And through that action, through the Passover, uh, people were rescued. And I know many of you were here last year for the Seder meal uh, where Rad Rabbi Glebe kind of went over all this with us and I thought it was just really interesting. Uh, the Jews continue to celebrate uh, this whole idea of Passover to be rescued from the Egyptians. Now in Jesus' time, they were no longer enslaved by the Egyptians. Now they were enslaved by the Romans. And today is, of course, Palm Sunday, uh, Passion Sunday. Uh, it's according to the Gregorian solar calendar. It's April 2nd, 2023. But in ancient times, uh, this would have been the 10th day of Nisan. Not the car, on the calendar. It was the... the, the uh, uh, we go by the solar calendar. They went by the lunar calendar. And the lunar calendar was the, the month of Nisan. And it was the 10th day. And on the 10th day of Nisan, what every Jewish person would do is they would go and find a lamb. And they would pick out just the right lamb, a, a, a lamb without blemish, a perfect lamb, and they would present it. And it was going to be, uh, they would present it to the priest. And then a few days later, on the 14th day of Nisan, it's the 10th day on Palm Sunday, but on the 14th day of Nisan, that lamb would be slaughtered and it would be offered as a sacrifice uh, according to their uh, celebration of Passover. And so, of course, it's not lost on us, I hope, as Christians, that Jesus is that Paschal lamb, that sacrificial lamb that on Palm Sunday was going to be chosen, picked out, and presented to Israel, to the people of God, um, in preparation for what was going to come later on that week. 
verse 29. As he approached uh, Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent his two disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead, sent ahead went and found just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And I think it's really interesting, this part, uh, how uh, Luke uh, explains this part of the story. It's very, I think it's very curious how Jesus, it's almost like he hires a PR guy. It's, it's this, 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 this he orchestrating and choreography. He's, he's trying to make sure everything is in the right place. Because over and over throughout Jesus' ministry, whenever he would uh, perform a miracle or do something extraordinary, people would be like, you're the Messiah, and be like, shh, don't tell anyone. But now on this day, it's his great big, I'm gonna, you know, coming out to let everybody know that he is indeed the Messiah. And why didn't Jesus just slip into town? Why didn't he just quietly walk in? He knew that he had just days, even hours, before he was going to be hung on a cross. Why did he choose a donkey? He says, hey guys, go fetch a donkey. And they're like, really? And he's like, yeah, go get that donkey. And if, if anybody says, why are you getting a donkey? Say that I need a donkey. And they're like, okay. It's very calculated. It's very choreographed. It's very planned out what Jesus is doing. And as we read the Old Testament, it becomes clearer and clearer why. Why Jesus chose a donkey. Why he chose to enter into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. I was looking in my concordance and, and found 144 citations of donkey or donkeys in the Old Testament. I mean, there's lots and lots of donkeys, and there's lots of symbolism for a donkey in the Old Testament. And so this morning, and by the way, sometimes people ask me, why, we're New Testament Christians, right? Why can't we just read the New Testament? To which I would say, you can't understand the New Testament fully if you don't read the Old Testament. And so we, got, we have to spend time in the Old Testament. Sometimes, I, I know I get it, sometimes reading the Old Testament can be a little bit difficult, a little bit dense, a little bit heavy, and it's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Is anybody, by the way, reading through this um, Moody Bible Institute uh, it, it, today in the Word? Oh my goodness, it, isn't it good? So if, if you're not reading it, you need to read it, and it's on all your bookmarks. I, I picked it up yesterday, and I was reading it, and I'm like, this is awesome. It's, they're going to spend the entire month in the book of Leviticus. Woohoo! 
Leviticus. And I'm just like, this is awesome. And it, and it starts out talking about sacrifices and cutting up animals and burning, you know, all this stuff. It's just like, this is awesome. I love it. Now I can understand, you know, what is going on in the Old Testament. So if you're not reading Moody Bible Institute, you guys all have one of these bookmarks that came with your book. That's a tangent. Um, where are we at? Oh, yeah, Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, there's all these citations of donkeys and what they mean and the symbolism. And of course, Jesus knew these things. And so as he's coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, I thought I would share with you uh, five different proclamations, five different ways in which Jesus is proclaiming many, many different things about who he is um, and, and why riding on a donkey matters and the symbolism uh, behind it. So uh, number one, first proclamation that Jesus is making, uh, and Jeff alluded to this at the top of the service, Jesus is making a declaration that he is indeed the Messiah, that the Messiah has arrived. And you've probably heard this word Messiah before, right? This is not a, a new term before. But what you need to know about the Messiah, the Messiah for Jewish people was always a king. And it wasn't just any old king, but the Messiah was supposed to be the last king. Because if you've read the Old Testament, you know that Israel had lots and lots of kings. Some of them good, most of them were horrible, right? But the Messiah was going to be the final king, the, the once and for all king. And so when you would talk to a Jewish person about kings, they'd be like, oh, David was awesome. David was the best. But they knew, they were told that when the Messiah comes, this Messiah, this king, this final king will be even better than David because the, the reign of David was the golden era of the Israelite people. It was the best times ever. But they knew that when the Messiah came, things were going to be even better. So this, this Messiah, when Jesus says, gets on a donkey, the symbolism is not lost on anyone. And everyone is thinking back to 500 years-ish earlier, when Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, and Israel was in a really bad place, and he made this prophecy declaring how the Messiah would come, to come and rescue them. So in Zechariah 9.9, he says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. So this was the symbolism that everybody was looking for. When the Messiah comes, the Messiah, the King, the last King of Israel, who will reign forever and ever and ever, he will come on the back of a donkey. And so when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, everybody knew what was going on in the midst of this big parade of this shouting and screaming and Hosanna and palm branches and everything. And then they went back home after the parade and everybody's sitting around their dining room table. All the Jewish people are going, could this be the Messiah? He was riding on a donkey. And there was excitement and just the thrill in the air, this passion. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. The second thing Jesus is proclaiming is that the Messiah has come to bring peace. That Jesus has come to bring peace. When a king went out to battle, when a king went out to war, they would always ride on a horse. A horse symbolized war. 
A horse, if you saw a king coming towards you on a horse, you knew, okay, there's going to be a fight. But if a king came towards you on a donkey, you know that they were offering peace plans. If they were coming towards a city on a donkey, that was a symbol for everybody in the community. The king is coming, but he's coming to bring terms of peace. This is why in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 19, when Jesus comes again, he's coming on a horse. He's coming to do battle. He's coming, when he comes back, he's going to battle with the forces of evil on this earth. And for once and for all, he's going to wipe away evil on this earth. So when th this is why we see this idea of a horse and war, but a donkey and peace. Again, the Old Testament uh, lays claim to this. There's lots of examples of this, but I just want to give you the example of 1 Kings 1. At the end of King David's life, as he's trying to figure out what to do next, he's got his son Solomon. And in 1 Kings 1, what we read is this idea of this transfer of leadership. David is still alive, and he puts his son Solomon on a donkey as if to symbolize and declare the passage of leadership from one king to another, but this passage would happen peacefully. And so we see King Solomon riding on a donkey in the Old Testament. Third proclamation uh, Jesus is making. So um, first one is that he's the Messiah. The second that he's bringing peace. And the third is that there is judgment for disobedience, that there is judgment for disobedience. And again, 144 citations in the Old Testament of donkey or donkeys. So there's many different examples. I just want to lift up uh, one this morning. Uh, perhaps the most famous Old Testament story about a donkey is not Shrek. It's Balaam. Balaam and the talking donkey in the Old Testament. And Balaam was kind of a, a prophet for hire. He's a very interesting character. So you could pay Balaam some money, and he could, whatever kind of your belief system was, and as a prophet, he could either bless you or curse you. And so the, the bad guys, the guys who were out to kill the Israelites, they're going to battle with the Israelites. They're like, hey, let's hire Balaam to pronounce a curse on the Israelites, and then we can defeat them in war. And so God comes to Balaam uh, in a dream and says, hey, don't curse the Israelites. I want you to bless the Israelites. He's like, okay, God tells me to do this, but there's some money on the table to curse them. I'm doing that. And so Balaam gets on this donkey and he rides out to battle with the Israelites and, 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 the, and the people, uh, the, the Canaanites, who they're, they're going to battle, they're warring. And, and so the, the, the prophets would stand up on the hill and they would either bless or curse some people. And so Balaam is riding this donkey to go out there, and pretty soon this donkey all of a sudden stops. You guys know this story. And, and Balaam is like, what are you doing, donkey? Move. And he starts whacking the, the, the donkey, and the donkey's like, not moving. And what we don't know, or what we do know, what Balaam doesn't know, is that there's an angel standing in front of the donkey. So the donkey's like, remember the donkey's self-preservation? The, the, the donkey sees this, this angel, with this powerful angel. He's like, I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. And so Balaam starts beating his donkey again. This goes back and forth three times. Balaam is just beating up, whacking his donkey with a stick. Finally, the donkey's like, 
I'm, I've had enough of this. And so he takes uh, Balaam through a really narrow passage and basically whacks him up against a tree. Uh, donkeys are not dumb. And pretty soon Balaam gets upset and he's like, donkey, why are you doing this to me? And the donkey and Balaam start having this great conversation. It's recorded in uh, Numbers 22. And this is what uh, is going on. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You've made a fool of me. I love that Balaam doesn't say, Wait, a talking donkey? He's just like, Oh, the donkey's talking. I'm going to talk back to him. So Balaam answered the donkey, You have made, me, uh, made a fool of me. If only I had sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which, I have o which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed down low and fell face down. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from, these, from me three times. If I had not uh, turned it away, I certainly would have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. So what the donkey is doing is proclaiming judgment on Balaam for his disobedience to God. Balaam didn't listen to God. And so the donkey is going to show him who's boss and what he needs to be about. And it's really interesting, that it, just in this one passage, that the donkey represents not only God's judgment, God's wrath when people are disobedient, but even God's mercy. Because the angel said, I could have killed you because you were being disobedient. But instead, I use this donkey. And so there's this, this idea of judgment for those who are being disobedient. Number four. As Jesus rides on this donkey into Jerusalem, there's another piece of symbolism here that's going on. And Jesus is describing his self-sacrifice on the altar. Jesus is foreshadowing how he is going to die. And again, we have to go back to the Old Testament to kind of pick up on this, this symbolism and how Jesus is actually uh, foreshadowing his death on the altar. And it really harkens back to Genesis 22, when Abraham took his son Isaac. If you go back to Genesis 22, you read this story. Remember, you guys know this story. With finally, Abraham and Sarah have a baby. They have a kid, and he, he gets older and older and older. And when he gets to be a teenager, God comes to Abraham and says, okay, now I want you to sacrifice him. And so what we read in Genesis 32 is that Abraham put his son Isaac on a donkey. And they went up the mountain so that, I, God, that Abraham could sacrifice his son, Isaac. And so God uses a donkey in the Old Testament for this sacrifice that was going to happen. The symbolism of a donkey should not be lost on us. 
And then the fifth proclamation that Jesus makes. This comes from Genesis 32, 15. That when Jesus rides a donkey, he is declaring that bloodshed is being prevented. That when Jesus Christ dies for us, our blood is no longer required to be shed. That Jesus takes God's wrath for our sin and prevents bloodshed. And again, looking back to the Old Testament and the symbolism of how donkeys were used time and time again. And what would happen in Old Testament times is people, when they would uh, be on the outs with one another, when things had, a relationship had fractured, they would load up livestock with gifts and they would send those gifts along as a way of, of uh, saying, hey, I want to make peace with you. Now, I know none of you have probably ever done this. Some of you guys, maybe you've been in the doghouse, right? You did something wrong to your spouse, and what do you do? You buy flowers. You buy chocolate. You buy some kind of gift to, to appease your spouse, right? It's your way of apologizing. It's your, it's your way of saying, you know what? I really messed up. I'm sorry. And so you try and, I'll just be crass, buy them off with gifts, Right? This is not new, guys. This has been going on for hundreds, thousands of years. And this is what was going on in the Old Testament time and time again and how they would use these donkeys. And, and perhaps one of the most famous stories is the story of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau were brothers. And, and they went on the outs with one another. There was a falling out, if you will. And Esau stayed where, he, where they were living. And Jacob ran away because he had wronged his brother. He had taken his brother's birthright. And so he ran away. He was afraid for his life. He thought Esau was not just going to beat him up, but he thought Esau was going to kill him. And so after lots and lots of storyline throughout the book of Genesis, Jacob comes, he's like, I got to go back. I got to reconcile with my brother. And so what does he do? He loads up a bunch of livestock. He loads up a donkey with lots and lots of gifts. And he has him go out ahead of him, and kind of like a parade. And before he comes back to his brother Esau, he sends these, these gifts on the back of a donkey to his brother as a way of saying, let's bury the hatchet. I have wronged you. Here's a bunch of gifts. I've been very prosperous through the years. And so it's this way of bringing reconciliation. And this oftentimes happened on the back of a donkey. Of course, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has prevented bloodshed. He has taken on the wrath of God. We have wronged God. And we should be coming to God and saying, God, let us give you what, you know, what, what, uh, what, what we can offer you to make this relationship right. But that's not what Jesus does, or that's not what God does. Instead, God sends the, the righteous one. See, we should be bringing our gifts to God and instead God brings his gifts to us and his name is Jesus so that we can be right with God. He, instead of us giving God gifts, God has given us the greatest gift. And the theological term is propitiation. God takes the righteousness of Jesus and our unrighteousness and he changes them on the cross. It's known as the great exchange. 
so that blood shed. Jesus shed his blood so that we don't have to shed our blood, so that we can be in a right relationship with God. And so when Jesus rides on the back of a donkey, there's this symbolism of being made right with God through the giving of gifts so that we can uh, be uh, in right relationship with God. About 15 years ago, uh, I was invited to go on a mission trip to Central America, to Nicaragua. And uh, I was new at the church uh, where I was at, and it was a medical mission trip. There were about 20 medical folks, doctors, PAs, nurses, um, and they would go and we would travel around uh, to different villages in different parts of Nicaragua. And every day we would load up uh, our suitcases. We had 40 suitcases of medicines that we would bring with us. And we would go to a medical clinic and they would do what they do. I would pray with people and, you know, my role was pretty clear, I guess, if you will. The medical people, their role was very clear as well. There were a couple of us whose roles were not as clear. And one of the guys who came on that trip, his name was Zach. And uh, Zach had just graduated uh, from college a couple of years earlier with a degree in business. And um, Zach, let's just say he enjoyed college life. And after college life, he continued to live college life, partying. And, you know, it was all about money and partying. That was Zach's life. And somehow Zach's parents convinced him to go on this medical mission trip with us. And so I met Zach on the trip, and, and all week long we hung out and uh, did uh, ministry day in and day out. And by the end of the week, we are, I'm dog tired. I am dead tired. And we're back in Managua getting ready to go back uh, to the States. It was a, a full week of giving away all these medicines, and I'm I just starting to doze off. So I'm dozing off in my bunk uh, all of a sudden, I hear Zach laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, Zach, what's going on? And he's like, I figured it out. He said, I figured out why I'm on this trip. I'm the donkey. He said, all week long, I've been carrying around these suitcases of medicine. And I thought I was just doing, wasting time. Because the doctors and the nurses and the PAs and the, and the pharmacists, they were all caring for people. They were all doing stuff for the sick people of Nicaragua. And here I am just, you know, carrying around these 40, 50-pound bags of medicines. I thought it was a complete waste of a week. He said, but that's the role God called me into this week, was to be the donkey, the one to carry the stuff so that the other people could do what God had called them to do. And this, of course, was the role of the donkey on Palm Sunday. This is like the luckiest donkey in the history of the world who got to carry the stuff that really mattered. I think the, I hope, the application here is if God can use a jack donkey or a jenny donkey in the story, that God can use a jack donkey or a jenny donkey like you. See, sometimes we think we don't have much to offer. We don't have much for gifts. We're like, ah, I can't really do stuff. I can't really serve 
in ministry. But I think the most important character on that Palm Sunday was the donkey. The one who carried in the Messiah. The one who carried in and proclaimed just his very presence. Says the Messiah is on my back. He's come to bring peace. He's come to bring judgment. He has come to make a propitiation. He's come to make the world right with God in heaven. This is the purpose of the donkey. So for a couple weeks into this sermon series, and you're like, ah, I don't really have much for gifts. I don't really have much to offer. I want you to think of the donkey. And I think something else, there's one other detail in the story that I think we, we often overlook. And I read it uh, just a little bit ago, but I want to read it again because I think it's really key to understanding this story. Luke 19, verse 30. Jesus says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. This donkey wasn't just a donkey. It was an unbroken donkey. It was an untrained donkey. It was a fresh donkey. How in the world did this donkey learn how to allow someone to ride on their back, much less ride through the streets of Jerusalem? How does that happen? A couple weeks ago, my son, uh, Logan, got a new puppy, a golden retriever, and uh, we've been enjoying that puppy just a little bit. And if you've ever gotten a puppy before, they don't come trained, FYI. You know, they don't just automatically sit. They don't automatically, you know, lie down. Um, we got hardwood floors, praise God, right? They don't come potty trained. You have to teach a puppy everything so that it is obedient, so that it obeys you. We're still working on it. But this donkey had never been trained. It had never been broken. And I think one of the greatest miracles of this story about the donkey is its obedience. Didn't have it all figured out. It wasn't trained, but it knew. Somehow it knew that it had the Messiah on its back. And folks, sometimes I hear people in the life of our church or other Christians talking about how they need to be trained more how they need to learn more, how they need to grow more before they can obey God. And I would say, look at the donkey. Our response to Jesus is always, yes, and now train me. Yes, now what do you want me to do? Many of you were here last week when Pat uh, Turner shared with us. That's Pat's life. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. Now teach me how to do it. I think that's our response too. As I think about this story in the donkey, our mo the most important thing we can do as Jesus followers is to surrender first, to say yes to God, and then allow him to lead us on our journey. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this donkey. <laughs> this donkey, God, who points to you in so many ways. God, we thank you that you don't just use people, that you use animals 
animals that are misunderstood to declare who you are and how you have come to rescue us. And so God, I pray that you would teach each one of us to do what we need to with this text, with this story, and apply it to our lives. And like the donkey, we would surrender first and then invite you to mold us and shape us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.